Quick throw left side, has the first down and more up the sideline. 40, 30, 20, 10, 5, touchdown, Houston. There is no offseason for your Houston Texans. Game day is every day. Now, it's Texans All Access. Hello, Texans, and welcome to the program. Great to have you on. Mark Vandermeer, John Harris with you. Join tonight because it's Thursday, and it's a regular thing. It's a thing. The general from the Houston Chronicle, John McClain, joining us all fired up for the Final Four with his Baylor Bears in the mix for a national championship possibility in general. Are you getting a lot of heat from Cougar fans this week? How do you feel about the situation in Indy? I just wrote a column uh, that I sent in to our website, TexasSportsNation.com, about my memories of growing up in Waco when Baylor played Houston. And it goes back to the early 60s when I was 11 years old. And U of H back then, independent under Guy Lewis, they played in Jefferson Fieldhouse. And they beat Baylor three years in a row by four points. And they were a lot better than Baylor was. And then they started again in 72, 73. And, and at that year, it's so funny to me because Baylor's tallest player was 6'6". U of H had six guys, at least 6'8". And they had 6'10", 6'10", 6'9", in the starting lineup. And they still only beat Baylor by four. But that was the first time I came to uh, to uh, Hoffman's Pavilion. And I came with some friends, and I'd heard about it for so long. And when we walked in there – it was a Taj Mahal of college basketball. It was beautiful. Now, of course, the Tillman Fertitta Center has replaced it. But, you know, I, I've got so many friends who went to U of H or love U of H. One of the most devoted U of H fans I've ever known is Joan Shattuck, her husband, Harry, one of the greatest sports writers in our history. Harry didn't go to U of H, but he was U of H by marriage. And I would think how happy Harry would be, died uh, last year, and he would be so excited to watch them in the Final Four uh, because, you know, they celebrated and suffered during the Five Slamma Jamma era three years in a row with some of the greatest players in history, and they didn't win it. So if Baylor does not beat U of H, I hope U of H beats Gonzaga and wins the national championship. That'd be great for Houston, be great for Texas basketball, and uh, so I, as you can imagine, I'm pumped and good luck to all the Cougar fans out there. Hey, General, the obviously people talk about, oh, this is, about, this is a football state, it's a football state, Texas is a football state. What is it, can you encapsulate what it means for Baylor to be in the Final Four for the first time since 1950? I remember, I can't remember what coach it was said that if he could only keep the best basketball players from Houston, then he would beat any team in the country because there's so many great basketball players here. Well, you don't see great basketball players from Waco. You'll see Baylor and Scott Drew. Scott Drew's done the greatest transformation of any college coach in history, and I don't know how anyone could dispute that. And he's finally getting a lot of credit for it. But the last time Baylor was in the Final Four, it wasn't called a Final Four. There was only eight teams in the tournament. So if you won a yeah. game, you were among the <laughs> Final Four. And I wasn't even born. That's how long it's been. And uh, so it would mean a lot. If Baylor won or U of H, is great for the state of Texas. 
I mean, you know, there are a lot of people around the country, and I've been asked this a couple of the national shows I do. Well, what's up with them down there playing basketball in a football state? And I want to say, you nitwit, you're not paying much attention. I'll tell you another thing that drives me crazy is when I hear or read these nincompoops call the Southwest Conference the Southwestern Conference. No, it's the Southwestern Athletic Conference where TSU plays. It's not the old Southwest Conference where Baylor, Houston, and Arkansas played and who all made this, the uh, last round. So I, I am pumped about it. It would be great for Baylor to win a championship in basketball, especially how far they come. But it would be great for U of H and Kelvin Sampson. And, and I was looking up those Baylor games that I remember from 63 and four seasons in the next three seasons. That was Guy Lewis's seventh season at the University of Houston. And, and, uh, and I'm still just angry as can be that it took the morons who vote on the, on the Basketball Hall of Fame so long to put Guy Lewis in there. Well, you bring up so much there, and it reminds me of me hosting an early touchdown club event, early for me in my time in Houston in the early O's, and I accidentally called it the Southwestern Conference. Well, you're one of those nitwits I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, and I knew it. I knew it. It was just one of those slips of the tongue more than a lack of knowledge, but it was like calling the Pope Baptist in Vatican City. Like, you just don't do that around here. And I learned the hard way. I also said former Aggie on the air once early on in my time here in Houston, and David Barron wrote about it. Because, you know, I'm the outsider, and I said former Aggie, and I didn't know, and now I know. And also, I don't call them the Texas A&M Aggies ever. It's the Texas Aggies, and that's how you say it, right, General? Well, I've called them former Aggies a lot, and I've called them Texas A&M Aggies (laughs) because it entertains so many of them. Now, I'll be that. I just spent two and a half hours today on a Zoom with A&M journalism students because they're nice enough to include me in a lot of those programs. But some of my friends who went to A&M, I love to say former Aggies. They don't say a word anymore because they know I'm doing it just to get their goat. When I first started doing regular radio here in late 70s, and I would be on with Jerry Trupiano on KTRH, I love to get the Aggies, the Longhorns. And he told me one time, he said, you know, he said, I know what you're doing, but other than our than the, than the teams here, those are our biggest listeners. So if you don't have to go out of your way to infuriate them so much, I would appreciate it. And it means you'd be able to stay on the radio and have a longer career. Hey, Jim, you know, I want to stay in history here for all right, one second, Johnny. I want to stay okay. in history here for a moment because you bring up watching Baylor and UH in the 60s playing basketball, and people have to understand that the Rockets didn't even move to Houston until 1971. So the Rockets were actually the San Diego Rockets, which is weird because the nickname fits here perfectly. But that was the that was the big-time basketball and big-time football Southwest Conference in the 50s pre-Oilers, an AFL team in 1960, and that was it. Rice was the big show in town. So it's nice to have this Southwest Conference reunion of sorts to remind people that this was the thing, basketball and football back in the day. Well, let me tell you a little piece of history. When the Rockets came here, they had trouble selling tickets, and they had to play some home games in Waco and San Antonio. And I remember oh. 1971 when the Lakers won 
33 games in a row and went on to win a championship with Will Chamberlain and Jerry West and Gail Goodrich and Happy Harrison. And, and, and I think, I can't remember if Elgin Baylor was still no, there at the not. end of his career. Okay. He was not. And so they played at the heart of Texas Coliseum, which was a dump and a half. And they played, uh, the Rockets with Elvin Hayes, the Big E, and the Big E led the Rockets to a victory at home in Waco over the Lakers. And I was there. Mm. Wow. Nice. Yeah, Elgin Baylor, that's the one thing. Elgin Baylor played all those years in L.A., and they went up against the Lakers so many times, but he never won. And then I think he either retired at 70 or 71, and then the Lakers won it the next year. Uh, when uh, Jerry West and Wilk got that thing done with Kill Goodrich. General, you mentioned you're on with Texas A&M journalists. I'm so curious, what what's the thing that they want to know from you the most? Like, what's the – is it a piece of advice? Is it a question? What do they ask you the most about when you're doing those talks with young journalists? Well, I love talking to college students because uh, they're all eager to get out in the real world. And the first and today we did something I'd not done before. It was kind of like speed dating, and we would be in a in a room, and we would answer questions and talk for fifteen minutes. Then they would put a thing up there. You'll leave the room in one minute. And so sometimes, right in the middle of an answer, boom, here would come another room where you're on with other students. And the one thing they wanted to know if they were in school, how to get an internship, and if they were about to graduate how to get their foot in the door in a job. And then some of them wanted to know about writing and reporting and interviewing. And uh, it's always uh, fascinating to me to talk to students uh, at that age because they're, I'm glad I'm not starting over unless I knew then what I knew now. And uh, so I'm always eager to help any way I can. And I've, and I've uh, liked doing that in A&M the last few years and actually – enjoy doing it because I've been doing more with A&M than I ever did with Baylor because uh, the Aggies are smart enough to invite me and Baylor isn't. General John McClain joining us on Texans Radio here. All right, so let's dig in a little bit here, General, as we are four weeks away from the NFL draft. And, of course, the Texans won't pick until Friday night unless there's something else brewing that we don't know about. What do you think of the way Nick Casario is going to handle the picks they have to work with currently? Based on what we've seen so far with Casario and all the moves that he's made, I'm guessing he's not going to win. He's going into the draft right now with eight picks, and uh, he has changed. He's moved some of those around in deals and law and changed a couple, like he had two fours, now he's got one four. But I'm guessing that he's going to do some more. And they will not just be the eight picks as they stand today. What I'm really eager to see, I figure with the third round pick, you know, maybe he trades out of the third round to the fourth round for two more picks. But I don't see him trading up because he doesn't have enough to offer. And, of course, we're not including any kind of Watson deal because I don't think Deshaun would be traded before the draft. But if what if in the third round there were a quarterback there that he liked in the second round? Remember when – we all thought Justin Reed was going in the second round, and there were some mock drafts that had him going in the first round. And when he was available, it took Brian Gain like two seconds to make that pick, and it turned out to be a great pick. And so what if there's a quarterback like, say, 
the kid at Stanford. Is it Davis Mills? Davis Mills. And or Kellen Mond, whose stock seems to be going up, or Kyle Trask. What if Casario and his personnel department have a second-round grade on a quarterback? Would they take a quarterback there, or would they fill a need in the defensive line or in the secondary, specifically corner? I just feel right now that uh, the defensive line and corner, he's going to take the highest one on his board. and uh, But it's the first time Casario has been overdraft. Now, he's getting some criticism, as is Bill Belichick, because yesterday Robert Kraft talked about how bad they've drafted. And even though Nick was the head of personnel, we all know Belichick was in charge of everything. So I look for him to make more moves. I think he'll – I'm guessing he'll sign quite a few undrafted free agents as he continues to churn the roster. And I can't – I know the off-season program is about to start with OTAs and conditioning, and they haven't given them all the protocols yet. And I don't know if we'll be able to go over there. Uh, but if we can't, I can't wait for training camp because, man, it's going to be confusing trying to keep up with all these new players. No, no doubt. General, sitting at number 67, by the way, if you go to HoustonTexans.com or go to our Twitter feed at Houston Texans, you can see I did a two-round-plus mock. I did one through 66, so it's two for one. You get a two-round mock, <laughs> plus I then examined each position available of players that I still have remaining from the Harris 100. So everybody out there can go check that out. So general, I ask you this, you brought up up quarterback. Okay. Now let me ask you, who who do you have them taking where the 67? Okay. Well, that's what I, that's where I I didn't make a pick for them. Oh, you haven't made the pick yet. I just went through and said, here are your options at every single position. Now I narrowed it. I didn't, I, I narrowed it down like these are the positions I don't think they'll take somebody. What do you think, General, would be the most surprising position they address at 67? What would be the most surprising position, least and most surprising positions they address at number 67, in your opinion? Since we're talking about mock drafts, uh, the the first one that Aaron Wilson and I have done on a Chronicle is posted on Texas Sports Nation and will run – Someday this week or Sunday, I'm not sure, but we'll be doing them, having them posted every Thursday from now on. And we picked the first round, then we picked the Texans' first pick. And my pick on 67 is uh, people may say, well, he's not going to be there. And they say, yeah, well, Justin Reed wasn't going to be there either. Is Tyson Campbell, a cornerback from Georgia. When I looked at the corners, I'm not looking at a slot corner. They got John Reed. They got Hargraves, they need another outside corner. So that's who I took. I think the position that would surprise me the most is running back because you don't need to take a running back in the third round anymore. And they've got David Johnson back. They signed Mark Ingram. They signed Philip Lindsay. Those guys have all have six 1,000-yard seasons together. Lindsay and Ingram had 1,000-yard seasons in 2019. Lindsay was curtailed by a toe injury last season. He's still 26 years old. So I'd be shocked if Casario took a running back in the third round, more shocked than I would be a quarterback because, you know, if Watson's traded or if he all's out, they're going to need a quarterback to, besides uh, Terod Taylor and uh, Ryan Finley. So, and uh, 
And and then the one I think it'd be the most was the two I mentioned that would be the most likely would be defensive line and cornerback. If the Texans walk out of there, John, if the Texans walk out of there with Tyson Campbell, sorry, Mark, that will be a home run. That's a home run pick. I got him in the mid-50s, my Harris 100, but I don't think he gets a 67. But if he does, same thing's going to happen. Nick Casario's going to sprint that card up there because that guy's going to be a starter for 10 years in the league. He's a good player. Whoa. There's a lot of good a lot of good corners with a lot of depth, and that's why I'm hoping he'll fall. Okay, John, Texans free agents, you brought up the running backs. Give me three or four names that you're most excited about of the crop that they have so far through free agency. Uh, can we talk about trades, too, since they added yeah, trades? trades are, yeah, acquisitions. Let's just call them acquisitions and put the umbrella over all the new guys. Well, I mentioned the two running backs before, but Shaq Lawson, who's going to move back to his natural position of defensive end in a 4-3, he's good against the run. And if he had four sacks here last year, he'd been tied for second behind J.J. Watt. And I expect to get more from him. Uh, Desmond King, a slot corner who has played well during his career with the Chargers and the Titans. That's another reason I had him picking uh, Tyson Campbell because he plays outside. Uh, Kevin Pierre-Lewis started 11 games at outside linebacker last year for Washington, and Washington won the division, and then and they had a good – they had a good defense. That's another one. You know, Justin Brett in the center is coming off knee injury. It looks like he's just been gift wrapped the center job. They got to have depth. And, uh, and, and Andre Roberts, giving them best return guy they've had in a long time. That's got to be exciting because their return game uh, doesn't impact the offense, but it should this year. And, uh, I'm pumped about that. And one more trade. I can't wait to see where Marcus Cannon plays. If new line coach James Campen wants to get his best five linemen on the field and Cannon is one, does he play him at guard where he did once before in his career and didn't play well and move to right tackle? Could they move Titus Howard to guard? Remember when they drafted Titus and when they brought him in for that first camp, they tried him at guard and tackle. So uh, Cannon well-rested after opting out last season. Sounded great on the interview this week. Aaron Wilson did a story on him. And so I'm eager to see how Campin fits in Marcus Cannon, who's got three Super Bowl rings. John, Nick Casario through free agency to this point. Alex Erickson, Chris Conley, Dante Moncrief, um, Andre Roberts. I know I'm missing receivers. I think there were five. I think I counted five. Maybe six if I miscounted. I was a little surprised by that. Not that I didn't think they would add somebody through free agency. I just think didn't think they would add that many through free agency. Was that surprising at you uh, to you at all? The the fact that that many were added through free agency at the wide receiver position. If they if they played tomorrow and they went with three wideouts, we know Brandon Cooks would be in there. We know Randall Cobb would be in there, and I'm guessing Kiki QT would be in there and because Kiki played so well at the end of the last season. Now, Watson played great, and it didn't matter who they put out there. He made them look good. And I don't count Andre Roberts because he's a return guy, not a receiver. And Isaiah Coulter, who didn't do squat as a rookie, and we didn't expect him to because he didn't have an all-season program, and he came from Rhode Island and has so much to learn. Can't wait to see 
how he is in his second year when most players make their biggest jump. But one that people, and I think people ought to think about and get kind of excited about is Chris Conley. Chris Conley had 40 catches in a in a uh, role last year with the Jaguars in which they played multiple receivers. He's got good size. When he came out of college, he ran in the four threes, and I'm sure now he's probably slowed down and he's running in the four fours. So I'm eager to see how he's going to help this team. Think about all these free agents. You know, a lot of them aren't going to make the 53-man roster this time last year. More will be gone, but some of them will have earned contract extensions. The guys that signed one-year contracts, and that's Chris Conley. He signed a one-year contract. So I'm pumped to see how he fits in as well. John McClain joining us. John, I haven't heard your reaction. I apologize, but 17 games, what do you think? How do you feel? What are your feelings, General? Well, we knew it was coming. I mean, it was just a big yawn. And I'm reading some things (laughs) about what this does to Hall of Fame statistics and all that. My first uh, training camp with the Oilers in 77, they played 14 games, and they had six preseason games, and training camp was two months long. And then when I went to 16 next year and everybody's like, oh, my God, all the records are going to be out the window. It's not going to be fair to the players who've made the game as great as it is. Then people adjusted as they will now. It's not going to take as long to add an 18th game as it took to add 17 because the more regular season games, fewer preseason games, the more that it counts, the more money the owners make and then the more that the players make. So it's coming. It's not a matter of if, but when. Now, the only reason I care about the Carolina Panthers is because their head coach was Matt Rule, and he did a great job at Baylor. I was hoping it'd be a rival like uh, the Cowboys, you know, have the Cowboys and the Texans play every year for the extra game. But I guess they don't do that because it would be unfair to some teams that don't have a natural rival. I you came know, up with matchups. I came up with matchups. Ahead, I'm gonna hit both of y'all with at some point, maybe on there, maybe off the air. I came up with 16 matchups. They're not perfect, but that could have been the 17th game. And I, they're not natural. They're not. You know, I've got a Chiefs Cardinals matchup. That one kind of had to shoehorn that one in. But I came up with some really good ones. I think the NFL would have been. Uh, I don't know. I think I would, they would have been better off uh, going that way. But either way. General, are you following this thing with the Chargers and what's going on with yep, the Spanos family? I am. Do and I wish, think- some multi- I wish some multi-billionaire would pop up when they have to sell the team by, what was it, 24? And offer multiple billion dollars and say, hey, I'll build you a new stadium in San Diego. We're going back to San Diego. Because they're going to be a disaster at the new stadium because nobody cares about them. And you can't make an owner sell a team. So if Dean Spanos doesn't want to sell it now to pay off $358 million in debt, he's not going to do it. And if he waits three more years or whatever it is, it'll just go up by another billion. John McClain, what do you have going out of the Chronicle for us? Our first mock draft is on the Chronicle. I just sent in that column about my memories of Baylor and U of H. I've got a Sunday story about position battles. I have one up there today about the priority of trying to improve the run uh, with the addition of Philip Lindsay and Mark Ingram. And we've got everything you want to know about Deshaun Watson and a really good story. David Barron, do you guys remember him? He used to write for us. David Barron <laughs> yeah. called a, a University of Houston alum. 
Jim Nance to see what he thought about the Final Four and how he's going to handle his Cougars playing the Bears. Sick him. Ooh. That's got to be really interesting for Nance. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) To watch his alma mater in the Final Four. My gosh. That's amazing. Thank you very much, John. Always a pleasure to catch up. And Mark and John, thank you. All right. Coming up next, we're going to have – a real big disappointing story that broke today. And by disappointing, I mean for play-by-play guys and other broadcasters, I'll tell you what that is. And also the 17-game schedule debates. I'll give you a player that has the biggest beef, maybe one of, uh, maybe the biggest in history, about expanding season game schedules. And this goes back a ways, but I think you're going to like it. It's coming up next here on Texans Radio. Touchdown! Texans Radio continues in a moment. Teachers and parents, are you looking for an educational resource to keep your students engaged? The Houston Texans Toro and ConocoPhillips have partnered together to provide Toro's Math Drills. Toro's Math Drills is a free video series that will challenge your students to math topics like fractions, multiplication, division, and place value. All while having fun. Sign up today for free at HoustonTexans.com on the Kids School Program page and run your students through Toro's Math Drills, presented by ConocoPhillips. Go Texans! Go Texans! Go Texans! If you love podcasts and you love the Texans, you'll love our Texans podcasts. Now available on iTunes and HoustonTexans.com. Got some good ones up. And, you know, we put these shows right up there on the Texans app pretty much right after they're done. Maybe it takes a little bit longer. If, if Amanda's having dinner, uh, our digital, uh, one of our digital gurus, Amanda, there's Anov, Amanda, you know, Jay oversees them. I'm not going to go over everybody. They don't want their names on the air, Johnny. They like to be behind really? the scenes. We, however, no. You say my huh. name on the air. No, you say my name on the air. You're going. You're going to give me credit. <laughs> oh yeah. I am not. Well, I'm I not behind the scenes guy. That's for sure. I wrote a story yesterday on HoustonTexans.com, and I had a Casario quote in there about gathering intel on college prospects. Yeah. And I even said you asked the question during the interview. I didn't want to mess with that. I got to give Johnny credit. <laughs> he asked the question. I didn't even say anything. And yeah. then I had Casario's words. By the way, I did a speaking engagement yesterday at the Houston Club. They had yeah, they me up there. And it was fun because it was actual live people in the audience. And we did, it was, you know, wasn't a huge group because it's COVID still. Like, we're still coming out of it. But yeah. uh, And it was all spread out, socially distanced. And it was very intimate. It was great. It was great to see people and just talk football and have some fun like that. And I loved it. I loved being out with people. It, it, you know what? I've been – I think we all have had our share of this. Some people are going into work every day and seeing a lot of different people. A lot of people haven't been out socializing, right? Yep. And this was semi-socializing because, you know, I'm speaking, but afterwards you're winding it down and everything. And I just thought I'm so not used to that anymore, just that random sort of social yeah. situation. And it was great. It was really fun to be out and, and see people. Now, downtown, I hadn't been downtown much if at all during covid and i know it's better than it has been but it still feels like oh my gosh you could just like have a block party and <laughs> not stop any traffic because there's just not a whole lot of traffic down there yeah uh so it's um it's a different deal but look more people are getting vaccinated we're making progress we're getting out of this thing and along those lines i want to get to the 17 game schedule some aspects of it but i brought up this 
stats. How bothered are you about stats being messed up? Since 1978, we've had this perfect, symmetrical 16-game season. And I know it's changed over time as far as the divisional breakdown, uh, division games versus how many other teams outside of the division in your conference you're playing and everything. That started when the Texans came into the league when you had perfect symmetry with the four-team divisions all across the board and everything like that. But you understand what I'm saying here. Now you're going from 16 to 17. Mm -hmm. And I said a player who's got maybe the biggest beef in history – and I know there are probably several, but Jim Brown, Johnny, a lot of people consider him the greatest running back of all time. Yes. Jim Brown started his career playing four 12-game seasons in the league, yes. right? Because they yes. went to the Early, yeah. 14 games in 61 when they started competing with the AFL. So, well, the AFL started competing with the NFL, and the NFL felt compelled to have the same number of games as the AFL. Brown in a... 12-game season. Jim Brown had 1,527 yards in a 12-game year. He averaged 127 per game and almost six yards per carry. Unbelievable numbers. And then later on in 1963, Jim Brown, 14-game season, rushes for 1,863 yards. I mean, two more games, and where is he? He averaged 133 per game in 1963. That's incredible production so that's why and a lot of people are too young to remember when he was so bitter when franco harris was threatening to break his all-time rushing record because harris was getting the benefit of 16 games at least for a few years Mm -hmm. and he thought harris was a guy who ran out of bounds and didn't take on the hard contact the way jim brown did i mean franco harris was great back but he wasn't jim brown so you kind of get it from that standpoint and the bitterness of hey you give me 16 game seasons because it's really more about you know, the games you have per year than the amount of years you can play. I mean, the amount of years you can play obviously helps. But if you have 16-game seasons, you can put up some dynamic numbers if you can stay healthy like Emmett Smith did, obviously. Walter Payton, who I guess was the first guy to break Brown's record, but Emmett Smith has it now. They're in football, I'll be honest, Mark, the numbers, I don't, I don't know. I don't care about the numbers too often. Mm-hmm. I try to look at, you know, yards per carry, you know, per season or uh, per game, okay. um, those kind of things, because those can end up being compatible. You look at what Jim Brown did per game. You look at what Emmett Smith did per game, Barry Sanders per game. You look at it from that perspective, as opposed to totals, that that to me makes more more sense because we have had changes now. We haven't had changes in, you know, 16 games since 1978. But that that seventeenth game, you know, somebody's going to threaten Eric Dickerson's twenty one eighty five. I think it is. Uh, somebody's going to threaten that, and I mean, even at sixteen games, Adrian Peterson threatened that. So somebody's going to threaten it at seventeen games. But I don't, I don't really get worked up about stats. I mean, I know the general just mentioned as we were talking about it earlier. You know, it's going to mess up the 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 people that probably get the most. Um, I don't want not upset about it, but that are more focused on are probably the players themselves. Um, you mentioned it, Jim Brown. Um, you know, talked about that, and I think the players get upset about it because people use that a lot of times as a comparison point. Well, this guy had a hundred. You know, he had one thousand two hundred thirty-six yards, and you only had uh, eleven hundred twenty-five yards. And it's like, yeah, but I played a twelve-game season, and this guy played in a sixteen-game season, so you can't really compare. But that's what a lot of people do. They use those. Well, here's the numbers. I just can't look at it from an aggregate standpoint. Um, and then I think there are some stats that don't tell um, 
I don't think they tell a good story. Uh, you know, tackles. Tackles is a is a great one. Yeah. From that standpoint, I don't think tackles tells anything. It doesn't tell you anything because you know what? I remember watching, and this is not a knock on Darius Leonard at all. But I remember watching the first two three games of Darius Leonard. Like you could tell he's a good player. But it, the Colts are posting, he had 15 tackles. And I'm watching the game going, dude, he had seven of them, seven yards downfield. Like, so to me, tackles, that's one stat that I'm like, uh, okay. But there are some that we don't even, you know, we don't even measure for the most part. We started measuring in them, started measuring them. Uh, and they're, to me, are more important. Quarterback hits. Those are huge. For a long time, we didn't measure sacks. It wasn't until 1982. That we started measuring sacks and, and counting it as a as a true stat. So I don't get too worked up in the stats because when people say, and you ask me this, this is our, this is our game we play, who's better? I hardly ever say, well, this guy had more yards than this guy. And I like that guy for that reason. I, I will always give, I think this guy's better because he did this better, he did this better. He had bigger, you know, he had bigger games in the playoffs. You know, I'll come up with things to me that matter, not so much the aggregate numbers. Because when you look up, right. and here's a great one, Frank Gore, should he go in the Hall of Fame? Yes or no? See, I understand where you're coming. You see what I mean? Now, I think Frank yeah. Gore has been a fabulous back in his career. I don't think he's a Hall of Fame back. I really don't. I didn't think Curtis Martin was a Hall of Fame back either. But, man, when you start – Putting the numbers in there, and you look where they are slotted based on the numbers, you're like, well, if that guy's in and he's got those numbers, well, then that guy's got to be in. And I think Frank Gore's, what, third all-time rushing, I think? But it's taken him, you know, nearly, you know, two decades. I mean, when he got in the league, I'll give you a good there wasn't one. even the internet, I don't think. And then when he's leaving, I mean, now you've got social media running rampant. There are, there are certain people who, if they didn't get voted in when they were voted in, might not get in now. And one of them is Art Monk, right, who played for a long yes. time. Yes. I think it was 16 seasons. And he's 20th on the all-time receptions list. Now, he was a lot higher <laughs> for a while, but, you know, numbers get inflated, right? Mm-hmm. They definitely get inflated when the passing game opens up. Quarterback numbers are ridiculous. We all know that. We talk about that kind of thing all the time, especially in college, but – Obviously, in the NFL with Fran Tarkenton leading the way with 48,000 yards for so long. And now, I don't know where he is on the list. I, I don't have it in front of me, but it's probably like 20th. So, that lets you know a little bit right there. I think you're right. The numbers don't mean as much in professional football as they do in other sports. You're still going to have, you know, I see people saying, well, a 1,000-yard season is not as meaningful now. Yeah, I guess so. I think we're just going to have to get used to the new exchange rate, that there's an yeah. extra game in there, there somebody go. got the benefit of it, and yes. we have to evaluate things a little bit differently. A, a thousand looks pretty, but we know that it's watered down because of an, an extra game. The other question is, are you in the playoffs or not? How productive really are you? Are you helping your team win games? That kind of thing. Now, i got to get your reaction to another story. This is the single-digit number proposal laid out there by the Kansas City Chiefs. Yes. This is harrowing to play-by-play announcers everywhere. Like, if the play-by-play guys would vote, we'd say, no, 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 you cannot do this. I don't want to take away people's fun. It's like college, though, where you can have a 300-pound guy wearing number one, and it's not a slimming look, okay? It really isn't. 
you know, for a single digit to be worn by a player who's over 260, 70 pounds, right? But here's the deal. It's going to be a little different. Under this proposal, linebackers, defensive backs, fullbacks, running backs, H-backs, tight ends, and receivers would all be allowed to wear jerseys in the single digits. Johnny, you in or out? I'm in. You know I am. You know I love this. <laughs> I you, you I love this. You know why? Here's, here's why. Because I have the hardest time, I have a hard time coming to grips with seeing a guy go from college to the NFL and he changes number. Like, I'll give you a great example. Champ Bailey. Champ Bailey wore number four. I thought he was, he was the bee's knees. Channeling my 1920s reporter. I loved watching him play <laughs> college football. He wore number four. Then he comes to the league and he's number 24. Now, that was my number in college, so I loved number 24. And I can't, and, and you get used to it, but I'm like, man, that four was just awesome. Charles Woodson, war number two. Now he's got to change. He's got to wear number 24. He goes to the Packers, he's 21. I would have loved to have seen Charles Woodson continue to wear the number two. Here's the one I don't like in college, and I hope this never happens, the number zero. I hate the fact that they allowed college football players to wear the number zero. I hate that. Now, this proposal, you will not. It will be one through 49. What becomes interesting is how players will try and shoehorn themselves into positions. For example, Chase Young at Ohio State, he wore number two. He is a 4-3 defensive end. There's no question about that, no doubt. But is he going to lobby to be a linebacker so he can go get the number two? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's going to get paid be, like a linebacker. There's going to be plenty, plenty of that. Tyler Shelvin's coming from LSU. He's 350 pounds. He's a nose tackle. Now, he wore 72. But can you imagine? No, 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 no. I'm just a down linebacker. Let me wear number two. I I love this. I don't think it's going to go through. The one thing I do like about it, though, Mark, is sometimes you're watching, you know, you're watching a game and you see a guy with a particular number on and you know, okay, that's a linebacker. That, they think that guy's a linebacker. They don't right. think he's a defensive end. He's a linebacker because he's wearing a number in the 40s. Now, you may, you may not know that. And I'm curious as to why it's the Chiefs that are pushing for that. That's the one that I'm kind of like, hmm, that's interesting. Why, it's, why is it the Chiefs? And what is it that they're – what are they angling for? Because there's got to be some reason why they've put this out there. Travis Kelsey wants to wear a different number. That's what it is. It's got to be something like so, that. Number Or Tyreek Hill. Well, Travis Kelsey wore 18 in college, so maybe that's what he's looking for. And I see the tight ends, uh, the bigger they are, the weirder it looks to me. But look, if it becomes the norm, it becomes the norm. You get used to it. All right, I've got one more objection to this. If they pass it the way the proposal's written now, i got one more objection. We'll have that for you. And also, I can't believe this is going to happen, but it looks like it is. I'll tell you what that is. Coming up next on Texans Radio. Don't miss a single thing on your favorite team. Follow us on Twitter at Houston Texans. This is Texans Radio. Two is better than one. How many times have you heard that one? More than once, I bet, because it just adds up. For example, there are two, not one, great reasons to fill up with Chevron with Tecron. Number one, unbeatable cleaning power. And number two, or maybe this should be number one, unbeatable mileage. Plus, Chevron puts Tecron in every grade, every gallon of their gasoline. So that's two, no wait, three unbeatable reasons to go with the one and only Chevron with Tecron. 
care for your car. Now back to more Texans Talk on Texans All Access. Hello, Texans. I miss my deep voice guy bringing us back, but we'll just do it ourselves. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you on Texans Radio, Texans All Access. Johnny, one more thing about the numbers. Quarterbacks aren't allowed to expand, right? They can do the teens or the single digits. Yeah. Hey, that's discrimination. And the old lineman, too, right? Orlando Brown was lobbying for a single-digit number. Why yeah. not him? Because, the, right. listen, as soon as you give an offensive lineman a single digit, Bill Belichick's going to have the They're Patriots guys in two, four, six, oh. eight across, and you're going to have to try and figure out who's eligible, who's not. I mean, that's the reason it's put in there is yes. that is for that reason. is So you know who's eligible to receive a pass and, and who doesn't. And you remember in 2014, they had to change the rule because the, the Patriots, they went ahead and, and Belichick and McDaniels were like, hey, we need something. So what they did was they took and they took a running back and they put him on the line of scrimmage and they said he's ineligible even though he's wearing an eligible number. So they announced it. Right. He's wearing 34, he's ineligible though. Well the Ravens are like, "Wait a second. They got a linebacker over there and they're like, "Wait, he's not eligible, so who's eligible?" And then they got a tight end on the backside who doesn't look like he's eligible because he's in a tackle spot. He runs down the middle of the field. They hit him for a deep pass in the playoff game, and it's what turned that divisional playoff round around, really, against the Ravens. The Ravens had him on the ropes, and they got it turned around uh, with that little uh, shenanigan-type stuff, and the NFL said, no, 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 no. Now, all of a sudden, you love offensive linemen to have a single-digit number or a receiver number? Oh, man. All hell would break loose. Isn't that amazing that they did that? And that's the year that uh, they beat the Colts in the AFC Championship game, right? Yes. Yes, the very I yeah, they beat so. the Ravens. They beat the Ravens and then uh they had to come from behind to beat the Ravens, did and they got the Colts the next week and spanked them with some lightly aired footballs apparently. And Alleged. that <laughs> alleged <laughs> Which I thought was the biggest joke ever. So what? The balls are a it was, little less that, deflated. Yeah, right. That's going to keep you in the game at right. forty-five to three. Stop it. I mean, I hate the Patriots, but I thought the league made way yeah. too big a deal about yeah, that. Totally. All right, way too big. Just find them fifty grand and move on. Yeah. Sorry, don't. you don't have enough air in the football. Move on. Just give them a little fine. And the Colts put up the banner of AFC Championship game participant after that, taking a <laughs> lot of heat. Which brings yeah. me back to my point I made earlier in the week, which is the Final Four. That's a semifinal thing, and it's a beautiful thing. That's got marquee value. That's got a tremendous sense of accomplishment to it. If you're an AFC Championship game loser, look, I'd like to lose there instead of the divisional round. At least I get the shot at the Super Bowl. But you don't want to put up a banner for losing in the AFC Championship game. That's that. All right, one more thing here. What about international games this year? Are you a little surprised about that? Okay, so I've got a beef with this, Mark. Atlanta. Europe is having a problem. Anyway, go on. Well, yeah, that – okay, so they announced that the Falcons are playing a game in Tottenham, right? So the Falcons right. are giving up a home game. But the Falcons yep. were already – because they're in the NFC, they're oh, having yeah. to – Yeah, they've got nine regular season road games, and then the Falcons had to give up a home game. They've only got seven regular season home games. That stinks. Which that, the that, Jaguars say – What's wrong with that? We do that every year, but I know what you mean. Yeah. I mean, they've got seven regular season home games and nine 
road, uh, I'm sorry, regu- seven regular season home games, nine road regular season games. That math doesn't work. They, they needed to flip that somehow. I understand giving up a home game, but make the AFC give up the home game. Yeah, because you're going to have to do that. I don't know if they made that official or not, but one home game every eight years, yes. which means one extra home game. That means one out of four extra home games because that's what you're going to get in an eight-year period. So you're giving up one out of three, really. Right. And we'll have a quiz on this later, boys and girls. So. <laughs> Pay attention. Follow along at home. Johnny, who do we have on tomorrow? We have Mark Ingram. We have, we have Mark Ingram, David Johnson. And Christian mm-hmm. Kirksey. Yeah. Mark, uh, Drew and I what caught about? up with uh, Mark Ingram. It was fantastic. So we'll have that. Mm-hmm. DP caught up with David Johnson and also Christian Kirksey. So those are going to be really fun yeah. interviews. Ingram was awesome. You'll, you'll love it. you absolutely love it. Uh, we had a chance to talk to him. The best stuff was off the air, too. Uh, he is he's mm-hmm. wonderful. I am so glad he is in Houston. Yeah, this is a big plus to have him on the roster. Johnny, thanks so much for joining us. As you got always. it, Mark. Thank you. All right, that's going to do it for tonight's show. I want to thank Eddie for producing. Tomorrow night, as we said, we'll have those three guests, among other things, happening. Have a great, great Easter weekend. I know a lot of you start celebrating it tonight and in whichever way you do it. And remember, be safe out there. Hopefully you can get vaccinated soon. Hopefully we get through this thing together. And... Have a great night, everyone. Go Texans. This is Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610. From annual checkups to managing chronic conditions, taking care of your health should always be a priority. At Houston Methodist, our primary care doctors are available to provide personalized care for you and your family safely. We offer a variety of convenient ways to get care from us, from same-day sick visits to extended hours at select locations. And we are taking every precaution to keep you safe during your visit. Choose your doctor or schedule online at HoustonMethodist.org slash stay healthy.